0: Before we begin, just a note to tell you that today's episode includes some strong language. Hello and welcome to Discord, a podcast to explore the intersection between music and theatre. I'm Adam Lenson, and week by week I will be trying to figure out the conundrum that is musical theatre. Welcome to episode three. Discord. Today's episode is based around a road trip I took with actor Nick Holder. Nick Holder's career manages to bridge the gap between commercial and subsidised theatre. His early work includes West End shows such as Miss I Gone, Jesus Christ Superstar and Les Miserables. However, his recent career includes work at subsidised theatres including the Royal Shakespeare Company and the National Theatre. Recent credits at the RSC include The Winter's Tale and Taming of the Shrew, and recent work at the National Theatre includes Everyman and the Threepney Opera and the National Theatre production of London Road, which was also made into a 2014 film. In 2009, I was lucky enough to work with Nick when I directed the Michael John LaCuzza musical Little Fish at the Finborough Theatre. Nick and I drove to the Sheffield Crucible to see the new British musical Flowers for Mrs Harris, which is based on the 1958 novel Mrs Harris Goes to Paris by Paul Gallico. The piece has music and lyrics by Richard Taylor, and a book by Rachel Wagstaff. On the way, we decided to have a conversation about musical theatre, why it works, why it doesn't, what would change, and what would leave.
1: We're in the car now, we're going up to, um, we're doing like, <laughs> we were doing 90 miles an hour, so i will just slow down. Um, on my day off, schlepping up to Sheffield to see a new British musical. I don't want
0: this to be a review show, so we aren't gonna talk specifically about Flowers for Mrs. Harris. Instead, we have a wide-ranging conversation about all things music, theatre and musical theatre. But I will say that we both really liked Flowers for Mrs Harris and it was lovely to see a well-crafted, intelligent, brilliantly acted and well-directed production. A lot of our conversation was about the idea of expectation, about the expectation of what a musical is, about the expectation of what it meant to walk into a theatre knowing that you were going to see a musical, expectation of what the word musical meant. Nick immediately refuted the idea of that expectation.
1: I just want to go and see a show. I don't care what it is. I don't want to have... I I don't want to know what it is before I go.
0: I think the idea of wanting to know what something will be is one of the strengths and weaknesses of musical theatre. I think it's built its audience around the idea that people want to go and see a musical because they kind of know what that experience is going to be like. But also the idea of knowing what you're going to see is potentially... Cutting down on the ability of the genre to innovate. I was talking to a friend about the word actually, and how when people say it was actually quite good, as if there was something that it. it <laughs> despite be, being Despite, that despite what it
1: was, you yeah, yeah. shouldn't be. And I think musicals are such a thing where people use the actually word. Yeah, they have expectations of what it's meant to be. I mean, I'll go and see. Um... If I go and see a Gecko show... For
0: anyone that doesn't know them, Gecko are an amazing company that use all sorts of elements, including dance, movement, text, video, live music and soundscape to tell their stories. Anyone interested in multidisciplinary theatre should definitely give them a look.
1: If I go and see a Gecko show, I yeah. don't come out and somebody say, what was it? I don't go, oh, I didn't like it, it was dance. Because it wasn't. Or I didn't like it because there was music. Or I didn't like it because they sang at one point. I didn't like it. It's just a piece of theatre. It's telling a story in the best way it possibly can. That means people bursting into song. And legitimately... Don't get me wrong. There better be a fucking good reason for singing. (laughs) Otherwise, it's really shit. But if I'm moved on a journey where I feel, if you don't burst into song on stage, I'm going to have to do it off stage. If I'm moved to that point, they've earned it. I always think that one of the things that people
0: associate with musical theatre... Or their dislike of musical theatre is that kind of moment where someone's speaking and then they start singing. Because if that moment is handled badly, it is one of the worst things to be around ever. Listeners should know I'm pretty obsessed with the moment of scene into song. Uh, I think it's often really badly handled. And that is one of the reasons why audience members often feel awkward when they see a musical because a song suddenly just appears with no prior notice or warning and it's definitely something I intend to look at in future episodes. I then moved on to ask Nick about the idea of musical theatre as art or as an art form Do you think that musicals are not art a
1: lot of the time and that is No I think musicals are artifice most of the time Oh, interesting, and are not art and I think that a lot of actors and a lot of good actors as well don't get me wrong there's some good actors around you know doing, doing that stuff but in order to keep working in the commercial sector they produce artifice they produce what it is they think the audience might need or even more so what they think the producer might want them to do so they might give them a job the next time round you know they do what they think is required of them they don't do what the piece necessarily requires and if you do that in the musical in the commercial sector you're very quickly out of work um because I've always thought that musical theatre one, one
0: of the issues of musical theatre is because it's by its very nature people are singing they don't sing in real life it's a kind of heightened or constructed reality and that, that sometimes that can be confused to make that to mean
1: that musicals are as just you say overly constructed sentim- overly constructed overly sentimental overly constructed you know we need this number at this point you know we haven't had a laugh at the, it just becomes death it's like what's that playwright that um screenwriting all that people have been using oh, for yeah, years, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like that. Page like, twenty-three plus. Yeah, 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 yeah. By this state, you need to got structure, blah, blah. There's no soul in that at all. The
0: thing Nick is talking about is three act structure, which underpins modern cinema and television, and it was coined by screenwriting teacher Sid Field. And the idea is that on the move from act one into act two. There is a turning point, a major plot point, and cliché goes that that is often on page 23 of the script, uh, that the structure of film scripts is so formulaic, you can actually turn to page 23 of a majority of films and there will be a big turning point. And I think the idea of structure in films has been one of the things that has underpinned the genre and led to its extreme success. But obviously that is also something that people are reacting against and says that it kind of stifles innovation. And there's a similar thing going on with musical theatre in that it requires structure in order for words and music, songs and scenes, to coexist. But maybe that structure has become formulaic, or maybe the idea of that structure is intrinsically formulaic. I don't know. Uh, we go on to
1: discuss more about this later in our conversation. Uh, I know people will deny it, but I, all I see is producers desperate trying to recapture their... Magic of Les Mis and Miss Saigon, you know, and those big Euro musicals, because there's money involved in it. Also, I, I think there's very
0: much a, a trend of when something works, trying to reconstruct it, but then all you're actually doing is, is diluting it. It's like a photocopy of a photocopy yeah. of a photocopy.
1: And Bill, Hicks, Bill Hicks always just said, just, just play from your fucking heart. You know, what do you want to write? Don't write what you think somebody might want you to write What do you want to write? What do you want to be in? What do you want to design? What do you want to sing? What do you want to orchestrate? Play from your heart He says, you know, I like my rock stars dead (laughs) That's exactly right Why do
0: you think Why do you think musicals Find it harder
1: To speak from the heart Or to be written from the heart Uh, Because they cost too much money because if you want to produce a musical you've got to spend a lot of money you've got to do it in a big you've got to have a big audience and you've got to and the practicalities are you've got to appeal to as many people as possible um, that's that's the that's the, uh, that's the common misconception I think if your reason for doing a musical or producing one or being involved with one is to make shed loads of money it will always be shit I think the idea of making anything with the only purpose being to make money it's never going to work out that way but that's that's all I see I don't see anything else why else would you do we will fucking rock you why else would you do it it's just there to make money sure but so obviously this idea of scale is is baked into the
0: idea of musicals because but you know four people and a guitar could make a very compelling piece of theatre but why do you think that maybe even the idea of that would be frowned upon why something about the overarching construction of musical theatre, the way it's been made, means that that, that, that scatters down onto more grassroots work?
1: Um, I think we've been miseducated into believing that scale means quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, politically in this country, if somebody with money gives you backing, it gives you a certain credibility... And, um, and and that just isn't just in music theatre; or all the arts, you know, that can be in any walk of life. Sure. So I I, I can only speak as somebody that has been, is involved as a as an actor, really, and, and from from my point of view, I know actors that won't get involved in certain music theatre projects because they think, oh no, it's too small and it's not important enough because X, Y, or Z hasn't put their seal of approval behind it, or there might not be a transfer, or it might not be up for awards or it might not be prestigious enough. And it's about prestige rather than about the work itself.
0: It becomes apparent to us that maybe the idea of polish and big budget and high ticket prices is damaging the ability of grassroots new musical theatre. I guess there's a sense that potentially other strands of theatre, there is a kind of grubby sort of whole room where stuff can be made and yeah. kind of engaged with whether that's yeah. verbatim or, or I don't know physical theatre yeah. and that maybe musical theatre has kind of cut off that part of its
1: architecture so that I think, the kind what, of unreconstituted it, yeah, musical think, maybe doesn't exist no I, I think you're right I think we're, we're willing as audiences to suspend our uh, expectations with other forms of theatre more than we are with musicals I don't know why that is necessary although there's something, something about British musicals that, that are just a bit camp. Um, I'm not talking about personally people involved. No, 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 I'm no. talking about the, 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 the actual thing itself. I actually I have a theory about
0: that, which is because we have pantomime and that is a, such an ingrained form this is just one one theory but because pantomime is such an ingrained form of theatrical experience for so many British people and in that people sing and dance and tell a story I think we get a serious amount of blurring or dissonance between the idea of musical theatre and the idea of pantomime and I even think there have been some really big budget high quality musicals made in Britain which somehow unconsciously blur yeah. with pantomime
1: yeah.
0: in America they don't have pantomime they have no idea what it is. They have no understanding of what that is. So there's none of that blur going on in either the maker, making of it or in the audiences that make it. And I sometimes feel if a show starts with a prologue, a musical starts with a prologue, I think, oh, that's that's the way you begin a panto once upon a time. Yeah. It's not the way you begin a musical. Yeah, it's the way Sondheim began Into the Woods, but it's because he was deconstructing storytelling. So he was a layer above that. And if we collapse those layers, then sometimes we just end up with
1: something that's a be- bit too tonally simplistic.
0: I don't, I don't know. It, yeah,
1: no, I, I agree. It just it, the, the expectation is that... The expectation is that there's going to be bright lights, which have spoken about before, but there's going to be bright lights, there might be some dancing that there'll be some, you know, scenery that will probably move in some sort of, um, you know, heroic way, <laughs> that the sound system will be, you know, the people will sing in a certain way, and I think there is a certain way that people are, you know, people can think they're individuals, but over the last, you know, 30 years or whatever, being around musicals, I've heard just about every voice type, um, come into fashion and then fade away and that's our expectation of it we don't you know if I'm going to go and see if, I don't know if I'm going to go and see a new play by uh, Patrick Marber. I might know have a rough idea what it's about I might have read some reviews I might know who's in it I might know what tonally uh, I might have a, a clue as to the areas he's looking into um, Well, I won't know what. I won't know whether or not there's going to be bright lights, and I won't know whether or not somebody's going to dance, and I won't know whether or not somebody's going to, at some point, uh, move a piece of. I've got a clue. I don't care about that. I'm going for the ideas. I'm going because Patrick Barber's got a a massive brain, and I want a bit of it. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I just want. I just want to feel cleverer by association by being in the same room as this thing that somebody's written. That is not true with musicals. You go and you go, well, where were the lights? Where were this? Where were that? Or if if they're not there, you're discussing why they weren't there. Yeah. Why wasn't there a big finale at the end of Act One? Well, you don't ask that at the end of Act One of a play, you know? You just think you leave the action where it naturally ends. You don't need to end on a number.
0: But that idea of expectation leads our conversation back to the idea of craft, How structure and craft can perhaps accidentally lead to something that is formulaic. Okay so something you've touched upon that I'm I'm wrestling with a bit is the musical theatre structure. So there are a lot of people in America academics and writers who will say that there is a certain structure that musicals benefit from the the kind of the I want song for the for the character the the eleven o'clock number the kind of being alive emotional climax yeah. there there are certain waypoints which in some ways resemble the thing that you were you were talking yeah. about earlier the page twenty three twist yeah. in um, Robert McKee uh, story and the. You know, Hamilton is built on a lot of those waypoints, in the same yeah. way that Fun Home is, in the way, same way that Sunday in the Park with George is act by act, I suppose. Maybe not the whole thing. And I suppose the question I have is: st- structure
1: versus formula? Because well, some- structure's great, but, but, but that, maybe we're misconstruing it. It's the formula that people are looking for. The magic beans yeah. is what they're looking for. But the reason they're looking for them. Is to have a success. The structure is about telling the story the best way you possibly can. Of course, if things help the story to be told and tell it as fully as possible, then that's entirely appropriate. But that's not what I see happening. What I see happening is this will make the audience do this. This will make this manipulative of the audience in order to have some sort of commercial advantage to the producer. That's a massive difference. This resonated
0: with me a lot the idea of structure and craft being tools to help you tell your story more clearly. But I do take away from Nick the idea that if you have a need for something to hit a certain formula to engage a certain sort of audience and then you manipulate a story to fit that formula, that's doing something that's subtly different but that to some people can, can often look the same. I'm just interested in this idea because obviously a lot of very successful and very highly praised and critically acclaimed American musicals seem to benefit from a certain structure and there are playwrights or theatre makers who wouldn't go near musicals in this country who maybe conflate obeying that, those, that structure with making something sort of artistically bankrupt or a bit rubbish or a bit or a bit reductive and that maybe we ignore some of the, the craft of the last, I don't know, let's say 100 years And we don't stand on the shoulders of giants in this country because we don't know any of the rules. I I don't know. It's just something I'm trying to figure out because,
1: you know... No, I think there's massive... I think, uh, of of course, craft is really, really important. I don't think there's enough people in this country that know that craft. I really don't. I don't don't come across them. I've worked in musicals for years and years and years. I I very rarely come across them. You know, those specialists who know that stuff... um, one of the examples I use there was a guy we used to have at the RSC who come and teach us how to do. Um, he was a, a guy from the musical, and he used to come and teach us how to do um, pratfalls and how to do how to time, you know, uh, really outrageous, over the top sort of um, slapstick gags and things. There's a real art to that, a massive skill, like being a farceur, somebody that knows how to direct farce. When does that door close? It needs to be three seconds before. Absolutely, there's craft involved in all of those things. But the only craft and I, I, so I know this sounds so cynical and to a certain extent it is because I don't work in the West End anymore so I am cynical about it I am a bit battered by it the only craft I see is how can we possibly milk the most money out of this thing that's all I see by the time that a, a new writer has got a piece to the stage where a producer is willing to put it on in the West End it's been watered down to such an extent, it ain't worth pissing on. Well, I always say th- this thing about
0: this sort of mutually distru- destructive relationship potentially producers and audiences get into where audiences go, oh, this is what you're giving me, so this is what i come to accept as yeah. the norm. And then producers go, well, this is what they want, so this is what we'll give them as the norm. So north. we'll give them again, and it self-perpetuates. Yeah. And dilutes and dilutes. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at other theatrical forms, it tends to be at these sort of paradigm shifts these breakout moments Sarah Kane writes Blasted yeah we're going to s- give them what they don't know they want well, or they, even that they don't they want they don't want I don't think anyone could have said they wanted Blasted <laughs> um, and that idea of being confronted by something like that at the time but it, the trickle down effect of, of what that meant for theatre at that moment or what you know Saved by Edward Bond meant at that
1: moment or Mark Ravenhill was shopping and fucking yeah. all that stuff yeah he, he, is important but but
0: I, I i don't know i just wonder why they were able to make something that no one knew that they wanted or didn't want when i think it's very very difficult to make music musical
1: theater uh, yeah I, I, I don't like the term musical music, maybe music theater do you know which we we'll a talk about later I, to, I mean i don't have any answers to this i'm just you know I'm no just me me neither that's thinking, why i'm talking yeah, just to people ranting. <laughs> Maybe it's something to do with you know if a writer writes a play and there's something that they desperately there's a there's a theme they want to desperately explore, usually about themselves or their experiences that they manage to put into a different story or form. That's much easier to do in a non-collaborative process. If you're you're usually collaborating on a musical, you're generally not writing the book, the music, and the lyrics. You're generally not the orchestrator. Um, and so that, that's a very, that makes it much more difficult to keep the purity of intention um, absolutely on track. I, well, I completely agree, because I think in order for a piece of art
0: or a piece of theatre to be successful, it has to be convergent, which is, we've all had those experiences where everyone in the room was thinking the same thing, the designer, the director, yeah. we're all thinking the same thing, so that it, hopefully it converges on a point that everyone goes, that was the thing that was in my head. And maybe everyone had a slightly different route of getting there, but in the end you will feel you got to that convergence. yeah the Musicals, trying to converge that many more things and that many more slightly resistant things to that point is way harder because I think you've got a lot of people with vastly different skill sets yeah. all trying to find that common ground. And yeah, maybe the common ground is inherently often a compromise, because it's going, well, what is, the, what is the middle ground between writing and music? And how can that not be? So one of the things I think about London Road is... London Road is a 2012 British musical developed by the National Theatre. It is about the true events of those living on London Road in Ipswich, learning to heal their community after the murders of prostitutes in that area. It uses verbatim interviews by writer Alecky Blythe, who spent years speaking to people who observed or were part of the events. The interviews have then been combined with music by composer Adam Cork. It is, in my opinion, the best British musical of recent years and the clearest example of how innovative the genre can be. It shows how the tone and subject of musicals can be based on anything. So one of the things I think about London Road is the fact that Alokie's process involves something that's cast iron, which is these interviews gives you something that's that can be clung on to because that can't be changed that's biblical
1: yeah no, that's rigid it's, yeah. so it's
0: rigid the, the rhythm of it the, the pitch of it in most cases and the words spoken the repetition of the words or the mistakes in the words and so actually there's a point of convergence that's already there and what Adam Cork and maybe you guys and, and Rufus Norris had to do I, I, am, I am guessing I am theorising is aimed towards that point, but in the way that their discipline allowed them to, yeah, uh, which I think potentially answers or begins well, to I answer think, why London Road was so bloody wonderful. Yeah, because everybody's on the same page.
1: Cannot be. You had those interviews. Um, yeah, there, there was no, there, there was nothing else to discuss. It was that.
0: London Road is an extraordinary piece of theatre. If you don't know it, I would definitely recommend picking up the recording or watching the film because it so brilliantly challenges the idea of what a piece of musical theatre can do. But something interesting about it was that it was not necessarily defined as a musical when it was on, because of the idea that potentially a musical about the death of prostitutes was something that was unacceptable. One of the things that Nick and I talked about was the term musical, and the fact that some people use the term music theatre and that is something that I don't necessarily agree with. And the reason I don't like the term music theatre is because it was sort of invented I think in the 90s, I, I want to say it had an affiliation with Sam Mendes and the early dogs. Just Dom to nine. react away from musical theatre to try and say, oh, we're not like them. We're not like them. Yeah. We're doing something different. And I, I, I try very hard not to use the term because it's a kind of legitimised term of musical theatre. And I think anything that ghettoises or separates the world of musical theatre and draws boundaries. Oh, a music, music theatre piece is different from a musical theatre piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually stops things being progressive because it it puts people into camps and stops them learning from one another. Yeah, and you perform to the same
1: audience every time. The people who were in your parameter. Absolutely. People will go and see music theatre that won't go and see musical theatre.
0: Yeah. And there's this idea that if you can unburden the word musical theatre that some amazing stuff could be made because people who don't traditionally make them or think they like them could make them because, because the word isn't loaded anymore. Yeah. And I, I think there are a lot of reasons why the word is loaded that, that we talked about, because we talked about why people get the same show over and over and over again. And, and it costs a lot of money. It costs a lot of money, <laughs> but... I, don't, I mean, I think... Let's say that there was a, a play budget for the Royal Court, just mentioning a theatre that is traditionally associated with new writing,
1: that tends not to do musicals. Yeah. Say there's a play, slot. it doesn't just tend not to do them. I just looked at their submissions link recently because my daughter wants to write. I was looking for their young writers' workshop. It uh, not only does it not do that, it does not want submissions of new musicals. Okay, writing. okay, so that's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, really interesting. And let's say that they
0: and a typical upstairs royal court play has a cast of four. There's a way of making a music theatre piece with four people, absolutely, there is, yeah, four actor musicians, yes, yeah. or just someone on a synthesizer or live triggering MIDI sound effects that have been
1: musicalized in some way there are so many different ways of I think, see, I think, you, I think you could even you end up ghettoising yourself even more then by saying oh we can make a musical and it's as clever as Radiohead it's it, it's we want to do a show about this let's write it okay well I wrote the play but it doesn't really do it It's not quite what I thought it was, so I think we probably need some music and maybe some songs in here. Uh, And and I think they need to sound like this. Okay, let's do that show. (laughs) (laughs) It's as simple as that. You haven't set out to write a musical. You've written the natural extension of your idea. Where is the only way... What is the only way that this story can be told?
0: Stephen Sondheim always says that content must dictate form and I really like the fact that Nick is saying that you have to have a story that you have to have an idea and then you have to find the best extension of the way of telling that story and bringing that idea to life and if you do that and then decide that it has to have music in and that it has to have songs in that if you have a really good idea that that will make a really good musical or should make a really good musical if it's done well. But, so, but how do we learn from the 100 years of history and how do we learn what a perfect rhyme is or what scansion is or, and why those things are useful? And I, I agree with you, by the way, but I'm just... How do we learn about all the things that are useful from the history of musical theatre while still just making shows? How do we add that to the toolbox? Like, in the last decade, we've added
1: movement directors to the toolbox and video designers to the toolbox. I don't think... I, I, I mean, I, I've, I think it, it's not to be ignored. You know, you, you dip into that stuff because you can see the genius of the rhyme patterns and you know, we all know, you know, that, you know, some people are absolutely masters of that and Rod Hamstein was heart, you know, Alpha Lauren, all those people are genius at what they did. But you want if you want to tell your story the way you want to tell it, it's irrelevant how it's irrelevant how they did it. It's kind of irrelevant. You can dip into it to, to, to find inspiration or to look at the brilliance and the genius of it, but there's no point looking at that and thinking it has to be this way or this is the best way for it to happen. Mm-hmm. Who ever thought... that? You know, it came back to it, but, you know, it's been produced and done. A verbatim musical about serial killers written by a man who'd never written a musical. And the reason it was so brilliant is because he didn't know what a musical was. Not because he knew the form, not because he knew about rhyming patterns, because he, precisely because he didn't know. So we stayed true to the original intention, which was to write a sensitive piece.
0: London Road is undoubtedly a sensitive piece, and is also incredibly well-crafted. Because Adam Corkett's composer does know an awful lot about music and setting words to music, even if he doesn't necessarily know a lot about musical theatre. I suppose what I would like to happen is for people not to ignore the good things about the history and craft of musical theatre just for the sake of it. And that if they do need those techniques, that they use them willingly and happily. However, one thing Nick and I definitely agree on is the fact that nothing is going to help if your story and your reason for making a piece aren't good enough. Okay, so if you were working with a... If you just met a playwright and a composer and you were just having a drink... And they say, oh, we think we might write a piece together Because we've both had this idea It seems like it, it needs songs and music We've never done that before We've never written a piece like that You've been in some musicals yeah. over the year What advice would you give them If you could give them advice To
1: make that piece better In your estimations um, Okay, don't write a collection of, uh, of catchy pop songs And then put your idea around them Okay, don't don't do that. That's that's just dull. Um, Pretty good. As, as, I mean, that's as, it. As a golden rule, that's, that's just the don't way. just don't write pop songs and then try and, and and then try and fit a story around them.
0: Once again, it becomes apparent that if you do things separately, it never quite works because musical theatre and theatre in general is something convergent. Things have to meet at the same point. So if you write a bunch of pop songs and then try and glue them into a narrative, it's always going to feel a little bit forced.
1: Just have something to say. Um, that's authentic and real and the rest fits into place. Yeah. Uh, It's when when you can see why a number's been put in or what you know it's been constructed in such a way to manipulate an audience Um, that's never going to who wants to go on stage every night going well I'm doing this song now because it might make them do X, Y or Z or yeah, because of its effect Because rather. of its effect Or, you know, it's near the end So we've got to get the energy up Is that just my job? Just put some fucking lights flashing And turn the bass up a bit or something I don't know it's, Don't make a human being get involved in that I, I don't know I actually also don't know where I'm going Do you know where we are? We're really near Well, I know We're in Sheffield I mean, I mean, There's a car park <laughs> Yeah, I know, but I don't know if the theatre's here. Oh, this theatre's just across the road. Is it?
0: Is yeah, it yeah, Like, basically just behind there. Oh, is it? Yeah, I mean... Sorry, I thought you were about a is, car that, park. It is us,
1: like... No, the, go... Go on, back round. No, just go on the right here, there's a there's a car park. See, we this is a classic example. We're here gobbing off about what theatres should or shouldn't be. We don't even know where the fuck we're going. Well, that we're is a for like We are, here. with Nail and I, looking for... There's the Crucible <laughs> Theatre, because it says Crucible... Cafe cruise We don't know we don't know anything.
0: There's a car park on the right. That, yeah.
1: Maybe we should ask Daniel Evans. He seems really clever.
0: right well, <laughs> So he wrote an article in the stage which I, I kind of loved because it said a lot of things that I I always think, which is. I if,
1: read it, yeah, about the structure. If you, and you how, hate and it's just
0: the thing that I took away at most is if you hate musicals, mm. don't write a musical.
1: Which I, I don't know, it's such a it's such a broad I think people need educating a bit more. That's really patronising to say, but I know I did. When I first started out, I was doing plays and, and then I said, oh, musicals are nonsense, aren't they? And this guy said to me, you're an idiot, and took me to the shop dress circle and then made me, and made me buy 15 CDs of Sondheim and sit down and listen to them. And I, just, and I very quickly changed my mind. Yeah, I mean, I would... You need, people, need, people need bringing
0: along a bit. I know, I always think if someone says they hate musicals, I'm pretty sure there's at least one you could put your finger on that they would probably enjoy it. And that just means they don't hate musicals. They hate most musicals. They hate... A certain type or bad music and I think there's a lot of things bundled into it. I'll be covering the idea of what it means to hate musicals in a further episode but just to say I think everyone has the potential to like a musical because everyone likes music and everyone likes stories as I said in my original trailer so everyone has the potential to like a musical and to make new musical theatre in a way that's positive rather than a negative that's that's full of passion for what the genre could be rather than negativity about what people perceive that it already is
1: I'm as much to blame in this you know, because I come with my own conceptions of what a music, musical should be and mine are, it shouldn't be this which is, I guess, why the, the, the big fix
0: is to try and almost remove the word musical Yeah. But it's tricky because I'm, I'm living with the kind of idea of how do we make ourselves proud of it while also just, we'll just write a
1: good show Yeah, let's make good things. Just do good stuff. It doesn't matter if it's got music in it or not.
0: I then went on to ask Nick about the next generation of theatre makers and performers.
1: You know, I'm 51. Ideally, this podcast should not be asking people of my age what the art form should be. It should be asking people who are 19, 20, 21. Because they're the people with the energy and they're the people that are going to change what it... The, the form itself. I will ask him. Uh, yeah, so, but, the, but my point is, I'm not meeting many of those people that have that voice. And I don't think, that's not through a lack of wit or intelligence, it's through a lack of opportunity. They're being herded about by producers, they're terrified of the what their next job may or may not be, of displeasing someone, of getting it wrong. And I don't see many of them taking risks, I don't see many uh, Bold performance has been given by young performers. I don't see it. Um, It's all a bit too safe, for my taste, personally, for my taste. So that's not pushing the form forward. It's not changing. Um, We're responding and reacting to what people who sell shows tell us they need, rather than us telling them what it could
0: be. Something that crossed my mind as you were speaking was when... When a new play or a new piece of, of theatre is being made, you get the sense that everyone sits around a table or sometimes not a table, but everyone kind of tears it up together because there's a kind of democracy yeah. to, to that process, which is it's just words on a page yeah. and everyone speaks words. Whereas the, I think there's this sense that musical theatre is so interwoven and so complicated sometimes
1: that sometimes... And hierarchical yeah, as well. So I mean, that you When I did that of Phantom of the Opera thing... I sat down we did the sits probe and I sat down in the chair and I was told oh you can't sit there because that's where the principals sit I it was in the fucking 1950s yeah I was, what are you talking about <laughs> yeah the idea of principals and ensemble what uh, well, yeah. uh, I, I, you know maybe that's my naivety but work, I work in the subsidised sector most of the time that just doesn't exist you know well, the idea of hierarchy
0: is is It's inherently disempowering because it stops stops that person piping up who might have a very good idea. Well, Uh, generally does. This discussion of hierarchy ended up leading us to the idea of commercial versus subsidised theatre and the different tonality of theatre that's made there and led me to a strand of thought about the diversification of the type of musicals that get made and that I get to see as an audience member something that's becoming apparent to me is that I want to see work whether we call it a musical or not but I want to see work that has music integrated and woven into it that has singing woven into it in any theatre I want to see it at the bush I want to see it at the Royal Court I want to see it I want to see it in environments where it's
1: I want to it
0: I just want to see it in the production where it's appropriate exactly it and, doesn't matter what that is but I want the tone I, the sort of tone that you see in the subsidised sector that is not potentially uh, its requirement is not necessarily to be crowd pleasing you know you go see I was, I was talking to Nick about X by Alistair McDowell which was a complicated and nutty royal court play about loneliness set on a space station. It was not its desire was not to be a crowd pleaser. It was desire to make you feel something. Yeah. And for me, musical theatre can be incredibly good at making you feel something and think something. And I don't mind if it necessarily is a is a show that pleases me in a way that some of the big hit
1: musicals please me. Um, yeah, I didn't go and see Alexander Dumas play Pomona to be pleased by it. <laughs> You know, I, did, I went because somebody said this is an extraordinary bit of writing with a terrific cast, yeah. and, and you won't have seen anything like it. So, so I went. As the
0: conversation continued, we got thinking about the sort of plays and theatre makers whose work could unexpectedly evolve into musical theatre if given the chance.
1: What was that play that was on um, a couple of years ago? Really, really... It was a very disturbing play um, about the internet and uh, abuse... Set as Devlin did Oh, yeah, that was amazing, The Nether. The, the Nether, was, which yeah, was fantastic. Bit, yeah. but, do you know what? Further to our conversation earlier on, who wrote The Nether?
0: I'd forgotten at the time, but The Nether uh, is written uh, by uh, the American uh, writer no Jennifer
1: Haley. Yeah. Well, Whoever wrote The Nether, it was a fantastic piece, and that uh, could so easily have had music in it. Could so easily, those set pieces could so easily have been... Um, well, there was already this kind of incredibly heightened reality. Yeah. In it. it just... Uh, like you were saying earlier on That that writer may and Never have considered writing a musical Thinking that's not what I do But it, but literally that was a piece That was uh, a five minute note session away From being a really interesting piece of musical yeah, theatre so This is, <laughs> is something, something I was saying to, to Nick In a conversation
0: before we were recording Which was about the idea that Sometimes I see things And I feel like they're inches away From, from being a musical And I don't mean that and being better. Oh well, yeah, better. It is a way to because of the fact that they are multidisciplinary. They maybe have choreography, the integrated use of music and movement and video, and they are very heightened, often expressionistic, uh, multi-scenic. All of the things that the, the majority of musicals are. You tend not to see stark, naturalistic musicals set in one location for two and a half hours. They tend to be because music, uh, music is the glue that can take you to a lot of different places yeah. and occasionally you'll see a piece of uh, quite often actually lately I'll see a piece of this, and I'll go that's inches away from someone being able to sing in it but of course if you were to then say to the makers of that piece turn this into make, a musical turn it into a musical they would or, walk at it or make a new musical in making a new musical I have a feeling that they would start going down a completely different patch of grass okay, instead I, I, of going oh I've got I'm another example for you another
1: example that people will think is sacrilegious given the amount of fuss about it uh at the moment people places and things people
0: places and things is a new play currently as of june 2016 playing in the west end it's by duncan mcmillan and is directed by jeremy heron and was a co-production for Headlong and the National Theatre. It tells the story of a character dealing with addiction and the process of going through rehabilitation. People,
1: places and things could absolutely have had any one of those characters suddenly burst into song. Uh, but if you said that to them, they would absolutely have been terrified about... Uh, they would have thought that you were being mawkish, sentimental, sensitive... Sen- uh, Sen- uh, sensationalising it and in fact that's not true they would automatically have assumed that by saying that one of those characters got a song, that you were cheapening it in some way and I'm saying you could have made it better that's the common misconception I think
0: so what have I learnt from talking with Nick Calder I've learnt firstly that uncertainty about the use of the word musical is perhaps holding us back and that maybe we need to change the negative connotations of the word. Although to be honest, I'm kind of stuck at the moment halfway between thinking we need to redefine and broaden the word musical and maybe destroy it and start again. Secondly, I think it's important to adjust the expectations of what a musical can be. How do we slowly introduce audiences to musical theatre that they don't yet know that they want about topics and themes that they haven't seen yet? Thirdly, how do we accommodate the different types of musicals and the different reasons that people enjoy them? How do we compare musicals that are meant to evoke vastly different things? And how do we unite them and also distinguish them? Also, what's better, a musical that allows us to temporarily forget about all our worries? Or perhaps a musical that allows us to connect more deeply with the world? Fourthly, if we are to push forward the development of musical theatre or theatre in which music is integrated, How do we respect and nurture the collaborative processes of creating that work? How do we get all the contributors in a production on the same page, converging towards the same point? Can a creative team mostly composed of experienced musical theatre practitioners actually make a musical which those who think they hate musicals might like? And how do we open the doors so that people who've never made musicals before can make them in a way that isn't totally ignorant of processes that can make them good? I think if I were to sum up from my conversation with Nick his thoughts on musical theatre I would need the words of Bill Hicks Play from your fucking heart Join me next week in my first part of a series of interviews to ask why people hate musicals Discord was hosted and produced by me, Adam Lenson Editorial supervision was by Emma Klauber Editorial support is from Daisy Shute, Michael Conley, Jonathan Lenson, Sarah Middleton, and Oliver Soames. Incidental music was by L.P. Legrand. Our theme music is by Luke Bateman. those of you who are listening to the podcast we'd love to know what you think please tweet us at discord theater or tweet me at adam lenson